This podcast is brought to you by sarahraven.com, which is home to everything you need for a truly beautiful and productive garden. You'll also find great and essential gardening kit and stylish, lovely things to have in your house to bring the outside indoors, all inspired by the garden and the house being tied together. There's also plenty of garden inspiration, how-to videos and specialist growing guides. So head over to sarahraven.com today to discover even more. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven, and lots of my friends and colleagues. Today, I'm on my own because I thought I'd go back to our quite sort of traditional format of the podcast of going through the things, uh, the 12 best things to sow for beautiful flowers in the garden next year. And then in two or three weeks time, I'm going to do the 12 best things to sow and grow now to eat all through the winter. So it's giving you an update of the plants that I really recommend for autumn sowing. And I'll explain, first of all, why to do autumn sowing, but also the things that I've learnt this year. So I may have done a similar podcast this time last year or this time the year before, but I've learnt some stuff. And that's what I love about the podcast is I can hand to you the things that we've learnt from trialling and testing all these plants in the garden at Perch Hill. So autumn sowing and why you bother... The thing is that if you sow now in September, the soil is still warm. And luckily, we've had a really rather lovely September. This year has been bizarre weather, but we've had this lovely sort of Indian summer weather in September. So the soil is still really nice and warm. And yet with the evening and and night dews, the soil is also moist. And the conditions that you need for rapid germination of any seed, but particularly the annual seed, are warmth, moisture, and light. And light is decreasing now, as we know, as of daylight are decreasing, but they will still germinate. But actually, the lowering light levels acts as a benefit for us as gardeners because they would germinate rapidly if you sow them now, but then... What happens is it all slows down as light levels and temperatures decrease. And so growth curves, of course, fall right off. But what happens is because they've germinated all these plants I'm going to give you, their roots continue to grow slowly and surely right the way through the winter months. And then you get this massive root reservoir where the tops have not grown because of the conditions of light and temperature. So they're relatively small. So you get a real imbalance between the size of the root and the size of the top up photosynthesizing. What that happens when then in March and April, temperatures rise, light levels rise, as of daylights rise, you get this absolute explosion of this root ball pumping out this huge, really productive, long-lived and massively flowery plant. So the imbalance that you get from autumn sowing of the size of the root to the size of the top as it develops through the winter really acts on the gardener's behalf. And that's why I passionately recommend it. 
as well as the obvious things like you get slightly earlier flowering. So for instance, if we have a wedding and we want tons and tons of flowers, and so I know by sowing now, I will have an awful lot more in flower than I would if I waited until spring. And I also feel it's kind of like money in the bank. It's quite a quiet time now to be sowing and growing things. It's not manic as it is in March, which is when people traditionally sow, or perhaps April. It's much more chilled out now. So it's rather lovely to get into, um, you know, sow things into a propagator. I'm lucky enough to have a polytunnel and a greenhouse here. So I go into them and I have a lovely time put on the radio, Radio 4 in my case, and do an hour or two of sowing. And then things will germinate because of the conditions that I've explained. So you've got the right conditions for quick germination. And then I do in autumn tend to sow undercover. So into a seed tray in the case of these ornamentals mostly. And then I don't bother to prick them out. I then just plant them straight out into the garden. There's one exception which is on my list, which is antirhinums, which I do prick out, pot on, and they go into a cold frame because they're not 100% hardy. But that's what I'm coming on to is the list. But so autumn sowing for me is a really a lovely job for September and it really does reap its benefits next spring and into summer. So I, I heartily recommend it. So on to my 12 things I'm going to be sowing this weekend of the Ornamental Brigade. So the first is a tried and tested massive favourite at Perch Hill, which you will have heard me talk about many times. So I'm not, I'm going to skip over it quite briefly. And that's the beautiful bishop's flower, Ami Magus. So why is Ami so good? Ah, it's just incredible filler for a vase as foliage. It's really glamorous on its own, like foxgloves arranged in a big churn vase or even a bucket on their own. They've got a real sort of hearty glamour to them, and that's why I love it. And it's fabulous as they use it at Great Dixter, the back of a border, where it gets to six, seven, even eight foot from an autumn sowing. And they would always do autumn sowing at Great Dixter, so they get that height and it's that thing that you'll get from autumn rather than spring sowing with Ami. It really makes an absolute barn door difference. So yeah, Ami Magus, that's going into a seed tray, actually a half seed tray, because I only probably want 20 or 30 plants. And then if I sow the seed really carefully and widely spaced, I can get between all of the seedlings and plant them straight out into, I just put a little bit of compost over the top of the bed they're going into, and transplant them straight into that. And as long as I get going with sowing those pretty much now, they will germinate within 10 days, if not, you know, a week, and they'll be ready to put out by the end of September. And that's ideally what you want to do. So the next one is its brother, and that's Ami Visnaga. Now, Ami Visnaga is more like the wild carrot in its looks, a bit chunkier, but again, in the Umbelifer Queen Anne's Lace whole crew, it's even hardier. So whatever the weather and even up north, I would really go for Ami Visnaga. And whereas Ami Magus is more delicate in its flower form, Ami Visnaga is a bit chunkier, but it forms lovely seed heads. And so we go on picking it right the way through until the late autumn with the dahlias. And whereas the Ami Magus gets taken out of the garden by August probably because it's looking pretty ropey, 
Ami Visnaga will go on and give us ah four, five, even sometimes six months of looks and beauty and, and vases. So not quite as delicate and stunning perhaps, but earns its keep in being such an incredible stalwart. So sow and grow it in exactly the same way as I've explained with Ami Major. So into a seed tray, pricked out straight into the garden ideally, uh, but putting a layer of compost just where they're going so that the seedlings, their tiny delicate roots have something quite soft and easy to push into to get established. And they won't need closhing any of these if you get going in the next week or so. I have learned one other thing about Ami Majus, which I, I have failed to tell you. So we had a chance discovery this year, which is we had some Ami Majus down in the bottom part of the trials garden here. And its seed had scattered into some grass around the edge of the trials garden. And it had self-seeded all through it. And it loved it. And we had really stonking plants that we didn't do anything to. So it was just direct sown from the plants, must be around about this time, maybe a little bit earlier. And those were some of our best plants. So this year, we're actually direct sowing and scattering some seeds straight down the drive. And so, you know, like cow parsley, but more delicate and more lovely. And it gives us more space to pick from. So Ami Magus is definitely worth direct sowing. And, you know, you can just scarify and make a little gap in the sward of your lawn or, or whatever, any area of even roughish grass and just direct sow a tiny pinch of seed into that. And that will give you extra bounty. So that takes me on to the next one, my number three, which is Dorcas. Dara, which is the beautiful crimson umbellifer. We've had real struggles with this plant because it gets a virus which turns the, the leaves red. And what we have discovered from Rachel Siegfried of Green and Gorgeous, who's the most wonderful cut flower farmer in Oxfordshire, is that that is around much more at certain times of year. And so actually by sowing it in August and September, hopefully you actually get it to flower earlier before the virus that turns the leaves red gets hold of it. And so you get a decent harvest. So that's something that we're direct sowing straight into the garden now in like last week of August, first week of September is ideal or second week of September. And that hopefully will mean that we will skip the main time. You know, it's almost like carrot fly but it's a virus. And, and what we find is that the, the, the leaves do indeed go sort of red and then the plant just dies. And we honestly didn't know what it was. And so that's why I love gardening is you learn things all the time. And by chatting with other gardeners, they will have had different experiences to you. So they will teach you different things to you. So however long you've been gardening, chat to your mates in gardening and you will learn stuff. I do every single day. Fourth plant is another umbellifer. And that's Olea grandiflora. So that's what I call the giant handkerchief plant. And gosh, it's an absolute beauty. I adore Crete and I spend quite a lot of time with my family, particularly up in the hills in, in Crete. And in the spring, you'll see Olea grandiflora all the way along the edges of the roads. And it's like these wonderful, very delicate white umbellifer flowers like Ami, but shorter and much denser in its whiteness, almost like a sort of spring cosmos they look like, really. And you'll see them everywhere, all throughout sort of rough grassland and, and sort of 
building sites everywhere because it's an annual and it's self-seeding. But that's something that really benefits in our colder climate of getting going um, with it now rather than sowing it in the colder spring. So weirdly, it needs warmth now and then it's perfectly happy with a cold winter like it would get in, in the Mediterranean. And then it flowers really well through from May into June and early July. So off umbellifers, so four umbellifers there, then on to the absolute standard stalwart hardy annual. All these that I've talked about so far are hardy annuals, which is the black cornflower, Centaurus sinus black ball. I love the blue and famously it's one of the Brits' favourite flowers. But I find the black even better because it ages more decorously. It doesn't go sort of washed out denim. And it's transformed, as I said, with Ami Magus by autumn rather than spring sowing. So we get sort of six foot hedges of cornflowers by sowing in September. Whereas by sowing in spring, it's perfectly good in April, direct sowing, but you won't get that amazing height and so glamour and length of stem. Another couple of hardy annuals that are absolutely on my must-have list, so I think I'm at six, seven now, are Salvia viridis blue and the annual scabious, Scabios atropurea. So Salvia viridis blue, in that's totally splendiferous, utterly brilliant for pollinators, utterly fantastic family of salvias. Uh, but Salvia viridis blue is one of the few hardy annuals in that group rather than tender perennials. And we find by sowing it, in the autumn, we often get bigger, earlier flowering plants. So that's another really fantastic all-round garden plant, ornamental, as I say, brilliant for pollinators, edible flowers. It's got the lot, really. And the black scabious is my favorite, probably, Scabios atropurpurea, black cat, really big velvet pom-poms of sort of dark crimson. I mean, just totally stunning. And Autumn sowing, really best for that. You can sow it in the spring, but again, you get a bigger, stronger, earlier flowering plant. And the the next and, and sort of final one in this whole lot of hardy annuals are the nigellas. And when I was thinking about it this morning, I mean, there are so many wonderful love in the mists, but I picked out nigella hispanica because I find that that dark blue, sort of really new denim blue, petal color with the crimson black crown L literally looks like a crown at the center of the flower that you get with nigella hispanica makes it that much more glamorous i think than the nigella damascenas but you know you may prefer the green cheesy football seed pods that you get with the with the standard nigella damascena varieties but those are best direct sown so don't bother to put those into a seed tray just sow those straight out of the garden ah I didn't say with Escabius and Salvia, do either. You can direct sow them or you can sow them into a seed tray. You can choose. Now, the next one I've already mentioned. So I think this is number nine. I've lost count, but I think this is number nine. And this is a Snapdragon. Now, this is a short-lived perennial. It's hardy here in Sussex, but it won't be hardy further north. So if you are in the soft southern south, you can transplant them out into the garden and we found they survive, particularly in well-drained situation with quite a lot of shelter. But if you're further north, I would still passionately recommend sowing antirhinums now, but prick them out into a nine centimetre or a small pot and pot them on 
in March for planting out in April and pot them on into a one or even two litre and then you'll have flower in May. And that's the thing by sowing, uh, you know, they're, they're not a top priority. So all these others you really want to get cracking with in September, you could push the antirhinums on into October and they'd be completely fine. But I really passionately recommend if you want early flower, sow antirhinums now in the autumn and sow them again in the spring. So you've got a sort of succession of flowering. But we definitely want lots of snapdragons, antirhinums. I'm actually going for Liberty Classic Crimson, which is an F1 and hugely long flowering and hugely prolific. But there are loads of others like all the Chantilly series that smell of fruit juice and, you know, that they haven't got the double lip, but they're just absolutely beautiful. And there's more breeding going on with snapdragons all the time at the moment. A lot of them are bred. They're very, very popular in Japan currently. And, um, yeah, we just, we trial new, we've had four or five new ones on trial this year and, and they've all been absolutely splendid. So I'm going to finish with three perennials. The, the first, like the antirhinum, so this is number 10, is actually a short-lived perennial but it self-seeds. So often people say, oh no, that's completely perennial in my garden. Well, in fact, what you'll find is probably it's the daughters or the granddaughters that have made gardeners think it's perennial, but that's Euphorbia oblongata. Now, any of you who've listened to the podcast before and heard me talk about annuals and annuals for picking will have heard me talk about this very, very, very favorite of the Euphorbias because it's the most prolifically cut and come again. But also any of you who've heard me before will know that it comes with quite a strong health warning on the pack because you need to pick it with gloves on so that you don't then get sap on your face or on your skin really and particularly in your eyes. And I have done that once and I can tell you it's extremely painful. So you want to take really great care to avoid getting any euphorbia sap in your eye. But however wary I am of it, I wouldn't not grow it because it's such a fabulous foliage plant for using in arrangements. And it's because it's got this flat plateau structure, so it can form the sort of structure almost like natural oasis. You can then just drop other things into the midst of a vase or, or a hand-tied bunch of Euphorbia oblongata. And by sowing it now, I will have really fantastic plants, you know, well in flower, by May next year. Whereas if I sow it in the spring, I wouldn't have it until June or July. The final two are true perennials. And the first is the northern oats grass, which is one of my completely favorite plants for picking in autumn. Um, Latin name, Casmanthium latifolium. And I adore this grass. It's one of the most elegant of the grasses. Quite sort of upright foliage, almost kind of a little bit like a sort of diorama in its foliage, you know, really quite upright. And then it creates these beautiful hanging, pendulous, um, very, very elegant coin-like flowers that then become very long-lasting seed heads. And they kind of make me laugh when I see them because they look like they've been run over because they're completely flat. So the the actual grain is completely flat and um, somehow really architectural and totally beautiful backlit or slightly frosty. So they're one of the things that you really want to leave in the garden as much as you can right the way through the winter because they're so elegant. But I also pick lots for the Christmas table and lots for my Christmas wreaths. And it's a hardy perennial 
and we find by sowing it now it will germinate slowly but by the spring it will have germinated for planting out and we will then be cropping it by this time in the autumn next year. Final number 12 must have for sowing now in September is the well-known absolute trooper trooper both container and sort of garden edging plant which is the Mexican daisy Erigeron Kavinskianus and you all know it, I'm sure. It's literally like covered in daisy flowers. It look literally like lawn daisies all the way through from April until November. We give it a haircut sometime in the middle of summer and it just springs back into life to flower again and will be in your garden forever. So completely perennial, really one of the best drought tolerant, low maintenance garden plants that you can have softening your paths, your steps and beautiful tumbling out of Pots either large, like we've got a huge one in the, at the moment in the greenhouse, and a small one as a table centre pot in one of our eating tables out in the garden. And sowing it now, again, just guarantees that you've got tons and tons of lovely plants to keep you in flowery table centres all the way through next year. And we've got the marquee up on for the last open days here uh, at the moment, and every single one of the tables in the marquee, which I think there are about 20 tables, have a curvy edge pot planted up with a Ridgeron Kavinskianis. And they're so easy to look after and they just look so pretty and so effective. So that would be my number 12. So yeah, autumn sowing, a must-have job in my view, gives great pleasure and will give you much bigger, flowerier, and more productive plants for next spring and summer. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope that's going to be a bit of a prompt to some or all of you to get going with autumn sowing. It's something that I passionately believe in for really getting ahead, but getting bigger, stronger plants. But I've explained all that in the podcast. And next week, I'm very happy to tell you that Arthur will be back and he and I will be talking about the things that we're planting in our gardens from our autumn range. So see you then. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes we talk about on this podcast by heading to the show notes or at sarahraven.com forward slash podcast.